This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing. And what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. You need to be consumed live. And that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. It is a time of great change in the world of sports. We're going to talk a lot about that when it comes to college sports coming up later in the show. Dive deep into the world of name, image, and likeness. We're only a few weeks in, and already the landscape is dramatically changing. But before we get to that, I'll tell you where the landscape is changing Cleveland. Uh, you know, it's funny, guys. We had this great conversation the last couple of weeks with Luke Eplin. He wrote a fantastic book about the Cleveland baseball team. They were known as the Indians. And now, here's what they're called. You see, it has always been Cleveland. That's the best part of our name. And now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city. To keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest. To come together and welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always defend it. Together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love and the game we believe in. And together we are all Cleveland Guardians. So those, of course, guys, are the dulcet tones of none other mm. than Tom Hanks announcing the new name, The Guardians. Your take, Mike Lynch. I like it. Um, anybody's ever been to Cleveland and gone over the Lorraine uh, Carnegie Bridge, you see the statues there, sort of the guardians of the city. Uh, the video is two minutes and 11 seconds, and it really is a condensed version of, of what Cleveland's all about. And it's about blue-collar people. And I think the, the name is, is homage to all the people that have worked to make Cleveland the city it is and the city it will be. And I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, Michael Barr. You, you're... Um you're warming to it. I, I'm I'm trying to think of a, how it's going to sound. And in the bottom of the fifth, we have the Guardians five, the Tigers four. I gotta I gotta hear that over and over again. It's going to grow on me. And 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 I agree with Lynchy. Uh, it it is a cool name. It's just change in this way is a little different, but everybody will accept it. It's an important change. I, I think it's fair to say here in 2021, uh, I think keeping the name the Indians was a non-starter. Uh, and I really do recommend the the conversation we had with, with Luke Eplin. His book about the now Guardians uh, back 50 years ago and what was going on there, the integration of that team. You really see an ownership even back then that was ahead of its time. And uh, with Bill Veck, it, it's it's a fascinating history, and it's an important one. And I do hope, um, for Luke's sake, because it's a great book, but also um, for the sake of folks who care about the game and care about baseball, uh, 
that people dig in a, a little bit to the history of this franchise because it's an important one from a business perspective. Look, guys, uh, they're going to sell a lot of merch, Mike Lynch. <laughs> you know, uh, everybody's going to go out. These are diehard fans in Cleveland. They love this team. They love their sports teams there, and uh, some of it's reflected even in that video that you described that that Tom Hanks was a part of. Uh, but they love this team, and and I think uh, I hope that that they will. Uh, embrace this new name. And of course, this is uh, only one of the name changes that we're going to see across professional sports, still waiting to see what the Washington football team is going to have. But I believe we're not going to see that until next season. Um, So we got some time to wait. So we'll we'll have time to digest the Guardians uh, in the meantime. Well, Cleveland and other places also have professional football teams. And the NFL, a little bit of a a different look this season in many ways, Lynchy, given that uh, we are going to have fans in the stands, but they're going to take a pretty, pretty hard line when it comes to COVID. Tell me about this. Well, uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell sent a memo to all the National Football League teams yesterday outlining their new plans this year for any games that might be interrupted because of non-vaccinated players or players that violate team protocol. Now, recall last year there were a number of times that games were postponed and they reshuffled to have teams play on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's not going to happen this year. If you have a problem because people violated protocol or were not vaccinated, you risk the threat of a forfeiture. No more postponements, no more delays, and this is a huge, huge hit to the home team. Now, the average National Football League take for a home football game is roughly $11.6 million. When you take in parking and concessions. So the pressure has come from above with Roger Goodell. Now the pressure is going to come from ownership on the players. You better not be the one that costs us to forfeit a game. And not to mention, it's only 16, 17-game regular season. One game makes a difference between whether you make the playoffs or not. And that $11.6 million price tag I would use as a hammer if I was an owner of an NFL team. So, Barr, is this essentially a get your stuff together <laughs> kind of <laughs> moment and get your jabs like what, what how do you, how did you read this when it came across the tape i think this is going to head right to the bargaining table when it's time to start talking because it here look here's the problem i've got with it obviously you know it's i get what the drive is to get people vaccinated and, and try to eradicate this this virus the problem i have is if you are the opposing team the team that is not going to forfeit the game, and I'm all set ready to play, and I've taken my vaccination, and I've been training all week and all this training, and then the game is canceled, and now I'm not going to get a paycheck? Wait a minute. Mm. I, I have a problem with penalizing that team for this, and I don't know what's going to happen. I know a lot of the players are not happy about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, the players don't necessarily want to be told what to do. This is an economic uh, incentive in, in many ways. It's certainly the way I look at it. The science is clear here. Like, go get vaccinated. Like, just go do it. Go get your shot. Um, you have to find it. it all of us are parents, and, and we know 
when you're disciplining your kids, you got to find their currency, right? Sometimes it's literal <laughs> in this case, <laughs> um, which is you got to figure out what is going to motivate people to do what we collectively have decided is the right thing. And if you start talking about somebody's livelihood, I think you're right, Michael Barr, that there's some things that probably have to be negotiated through. And I'm guessing what you're going to have is teams absorb. I, I think we've already seen some reports of that, that the teams will absorb you know, the, the penalties, essentially, and maybe it won't be levied directly on a game-by-game basis on the players. We'll see how all that plays out. But ultimately, this is a pretty powerful tool for teams and coaches and GMs and everybody else to motivate their players and staff and whoever else to to do the right thing and and get vaccinated. So we'll see. Um, It it may be a non-issue. We we may not have any games, but Lynchy, as you said, last year, uh, we certainly had a lot of disruption and we are at a time right now where medically Delta variant is surging. Uh, and there is, I believe, as President Biden has said, there is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And that's really mm-hmm. where this is hitting. So we'll see. Money talks. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> By the way, if you get a chance to see the video with Tom Hanks about the Guardians, there is a clip. And you got to look close. But there's a clip of Bob Feller and Larry Doby. Yeah. And they're on yeah. the bench. And, I, and it's only like for a few seconds. But I thought that was really cool. I like that. Yeah, no, it's it's an important moment in history and one that has uh, not been told enough. Uh, speaking of history, just while we're uh, congratulating people, uh, we should also mention briefly uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. 50 years yeah. in the making, yeah. 50 points from Giannis. It was a fantastic end, I think, unless you're a Suns fan, to the NBA Finals. You really did have so many people, I think, especially after the fact, rooting uh, rooting for and really embracing Giannis. His personal story is incredible. The business of Giannis is amazing. And candidly, the business of the Bucks is fascinating. Highly recommend going back into the archives, the recent archives as well, and listening to our conversation with Peter Fagan. Um, you guys saw, I mean, the Deer District. I think it went from <laughs> 20,000 uh, to 65,000 minimum uh, for game six, Lynchy. So, a lot of celebration, and rightly so, there in, in Milwaukee. And good for them. Congratulations to, to them, to Mark Lazary, the whole ownership group. Uh, this was an investment for real yeah, uh, that, that seems to be paying off. Well, you think about there, I think the population of downtown Milwaukee is just a shade over 650,000. So roughly 10% of the right. people that live there <laughs> were congregating in the Deer District. It's a love affair. Uh, it, it's it's so Midwest and so Americana. And Fagan and his group did a great job when they built that Deer District. And now it's become a destination. I mean, every game next year in the regular season, people are just going to win. If they're playing at Boston or playing in New York or San Antonio, hey, let's get out of the Deer District. It looks like a hot place to be. And I think that, you know, economically for all those businesses down there, they are on a fast ride to profits. Well, the one other thing that I will say about this team from a business perspective that I think is fascinating is the, the fact that, Lazary and company and and the the GM and the coach, you know, obviously Coach Bud um, gets a lot of credit for this for, you know, really building a team. This is not mm-hmm. an assembled super team by any right. stretch. Uh, and I think that has been noted uh, widely uh, in the kind of postmortems of this. This is a team that, you know, has the potential to be a dynasty. You saw 
Giannis really come into his own in a way and, and play at a, a different level. And, and so really building around a superstar, I don't know if we've seen that in quite this way uh, in some time in this era of, uh, of super teams, Michael Barr. So certainly something uh, to keep an eye on. And, and you wonder if other owners are going to take note of that and say, oh, well, that's kind of a championship the old-fashioned way. I'm amazed the Deer District didn't come up with this slogan. The Deer District, come spin your dough. <laughs> See? Oh, see, see, but a boom, but a boom. I'm gonna trademark that. Right. Uh, anyway, and, up and, next and, on and the show. And for a moment here, we're in the Catskills. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're talking about something about which there are headlines literally every day. Right now, we're talking about name, image, and likeness. We've talked about it on this show a lot. We're going to do a deep dive today with one of the unquestionable experts on all this, talking about Darren Heitner. He is the founder of Heitner Legal. He's a sports lawyer. He's an adjunct professor of law at the University of Florida, and he is all over this. If you go on Twitter and you do any sort of search, if you Google it, his name inevitably pops up. He's been the architect of some of the laws here. Darren, really, really great to have you with us. Uh, I mean, what a moment. We knew this was coming, obviously, but is it what you thought it would be in terms of how it is rolling out? Three weeks in, this is what I expected, which is, number one, that we would see an influx of individualized deals literally at midnight as the clock turned from June 30 to July 1, that the, it would take some time for the big brands to get involved while I was fortunate to get involved on day one uh, on a deal between the Cavender Twins and Boost Mobile. We haven't seen all that many big brands, and I knew that it was going to take some time. And I'd say number three, that far too many athletes are accepting far too many opportunities that are coming their way without necessarily negotiating the deals, understanding the terms, and perhaps making sure that all the intellectual property rights are properly cleared. Uh, but overall, there was a lot of worry leading up to July 1 that this change would lead to anarchy or chaos or, quote-unquote, the end of college sports. And that was obviously hyperbole. Uh, it's not going to lead to any of those things, and it hasn't thus far. And so, this, yes, thus far three weeks, it's exactly how I thought this would play out. This is interesting because... One, first of all, obviously, stating the, the flat-out obvious, this has changed a lot in college sports for athletes to make money. But more importantly, it's how they do it. Now, now some athletes may get like a couple hundred dollars, but that really doesn't help them for the people really trying to get into the NFL, or am I wrong? The best players are still going to be leaving school early. I've had a lot of questions as to whether or not NIL will cause athletes to stay in school for a longer period of time. And I do think that to a certain extent, yes. If we're talking about the basketball player who has a second round projection or going undrafted or a football player who may be pegged for the fourth to sixth round of the NFL draft, those individuals may be influenced by NIL and, and these new rights. 
But the very best players, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Zion Williamson's of the world, they would not have stayed in school for a longer period of time. NIL would not have affected them from their professional endeavors, and they would have tried to get there as soon as possible because at the professional level, they'd still have those NIL rights, which professional athletes have always had. By the way, the rest of society has as well. The NCAA simply carved out college athletes and said they are the only class of individuals in the U.S. who cannot have these rights. But those players who are super talented would just still go to their professional ranks as quickly as they've done before, benefiting from not only those NIL rights, but also their salaries. We were all kind of startled when uh, Nick Saban, of all people, uh, leaked it out that his quarterback, Bryce Young, who's never started a game, already has a name, image, and likeness deal worth seven figures. And I'm scratching my head and saying, why would a head coach say that? And then, of course, the cynic in me says, maybe it's a recruiting tactic. Is that a possibility now that we may all the coaches say, come on down to Old State because we've got the best deal in town for name, image, and likeness? Well, that was my interpretation of the statement as well. In fact, I came out on Twitter and and said as much. Um, I I don't have deep inside information, but I have an idea of the types of deals or or really deal that Bryce Young has done, and the big one is with Cash App thus far. But you would think if he's done all these massive deals, he'd already be delivering upon them to at least some extent or at least announcing or the or the brand would be very interested in announcing and we've seen relative silence on that front so while i don't dispute the fact that i'm sure bryce young has over a million dollars in offers currently and ultimately will sign deals in excess of a million dollars it's hard for me to believe that he's already executed upon those types of agreements to that extent uh, and so my interpretation of Nick Saban's comment was not ignorance, but that he's absolutely using this for a recruiting advantage. And as a University of Florida grad, undergrad in law school and an adjunct there, uh, and someone who's had, I'll, I'll wear it on my sleeve, I'm a fan of the University of Florida. On the other side, I'm a bit disappointed because you had Dan Mullen, Coach Mullen of the football team, come out and say, uh, in response to a question about a deal that I was involved in at the University of Miami for many football players, is that legal? So you have, on one side, Nick Saban boasting about the exorbitant deals that his quarterback allegedly has, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have a coach who's asking if that type of activity is even legal. Um, so I, I don't know how much thought was put into that, but I feel like one of those tactics really helps recruiting, while the other one either is neutral or bad for recruiting. And so, Darren, as you're looking at these deals, you're negotiating some of them, obviously. You understand both the letter and the the spirit of the law here. There are always unintended consequences, for better or worse, that that come out of anything new and different. What have you seen that has surprised you, or or if anything? I think what's somewhat surprised me, I did not expect a, a company like Barstool to have such an influence early on. And, and shame on me, right? Because they're always out there pushing the envelope uh, when they can. And I, I did not expect that through two, three weeks of NIL, hundreds upon hundreds of athletes would be quote-unquote signing with this new entity, Barstool Athletics, in exchange for little to nothing. We were talking about merchandise at best. Um, in exchange for Barstool, I suppose, to be able to boast about it, um, and athletes putting hashtag, I think, Barstool Athlete on their social media profiles. And then 
when I guess challenged the, the pivot to Barstool Athletics not being a company interested in doing NIL deals, but actually representing the athletes. So I'm I'm wondering what that's going to look like. To be honest, uh, that was sort of the the big outlier. I, I was also a bit surprised to find some company called Yoke Gaming that I had never heard of before enter into so many deals with so many athletes, which I understood to be at around $20 per athlete. Um, again, I mean, athletes for the first time are able to benefit and, and earn some form of consideration, but when it's merged with $20, uh, it's, it's somewhat concerning that athletes are really selling themselves short early on and, and perhaps denigrating their brands for the right. long term. You mentioned earlier, and to expand on that, if you're a Alabama or a Florida you're saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> Come on in. We got a great recruiting tool. But if you're a smaller college like, hey, what's the matter you, you've got a problem. Because how are you going to get people to be attracted to come to your university and avoid in Alabama? Well, I guess it's the age-old question because that question existed even before NIL where there was just huge disparity in terms of athletic department budgets and the salaries that were paid to the coaches and the notoriety of those coaches and the athletic facilities, you know, the workout rooms and so on and so forth. So it's a problem that those schools have had in perpetuity and that's not changing. Um, and, and I don't know necessarily that it's enhanced by NIL in any way. The gap was already existing. Uh, but the, the one caveat to that that I've thought for some time and that we may still see play out is that perhaps some of those schools that have been disadvantaged over time uh, as compared to the powerhouses like Alabama, Clemson, so on and so forth, if they're in larger markets, they may be able to benefit from that. If they have uh, alumni who have been very successful, created strong businesses, Maybe the gap is actually shortened over time. I mean, we're, we're so early in all this. We're only three weeks in. As I mentioned, so many brands haven't even dipped their toes into the NIL marketplace yet. So it'll be interesting to follow and, and make a determination perhaps a year, two years from now, as to whether or not the gap was widened or shortened. Because my assumption has been that, if anything, it'll be shortened. Darren, what are the uh, rules for disclosure? Do they vary from state to state or school to school? They do. So uh, as we sit here now, there are 27 states that have signed a law, an NIL law, by their respective governors, but not all of them are actually effective as of this date. In those states that have laws that are effective, there is, by and large, disclosure requirements. But the states leave up leave it up to the schools as to what those disclosure requirements are. And certainly in the states where there is not an NIL law, it's up to those schools to determine through their NIL policies, which they've been publishing. And for those that haven't published yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but hopefully they will be publishing soon. By and large, and we're talking about a short timetable, uh, it can be as fast as, as day of for quote-unquote approval or last about a week long, but it does vary school to school, state by state. A lot of these schools um, are either requiring athletes to provide it directly, the, the uh, contemplated deals directly to the compliance department, or utilize one of these third-party platforms that they have aligned with, such as 
an influencer, a teamwork, or an open doors, or at Lions. Darren, I mean, I'm, I'm also wondering, one of the elements that was talked about heading into this was that in terms of evening the playing field, we might see female athletes, you know, benefit in a way that they haven't before. You know, the example that's come up in a lot of our reporting and others is you think about the UConn women's basketball team and sort of their notoriety and and their sort of fame essentially sort of peaking in college rather than in in the professional leagues. Are you seeing any of that again, knowing that it's early days? Are you seeing deals go maybe more than than anticipated or disproportionately in any way toward women versus men? Like, what's the breakdown from what you can see anecdotally? You know, we're actually seeing a healthy dose of both, which I'm really happy about. And what I somewhat expected, and there were a lot of naysayers going into this saying, there's going to be such disparity between the male and female athletes. But what we're quickly finding is that female athletes have a tendency to do a better job branding themselves and and attract a following and really engaging with their audience on a number of platforms. As I mentioned before, I've been fortunate to work with the Cavender twins, Haley and Hannah from Fresno State. We did three deals within the first couple of days of NIL, and they were large deals. Um, and we've had so many offers come in in the meantime, and we've, we've, we knew that we wanted to take advantage of the attention day one, day two, and then take a break because obviously there's a concern about oversaturation and staying true to the brands and making sure that these are brands that they want to align with. But we have some more deals in the works that should get done pretty soon. And I think they're a very good example of how female athletes can absolutely benefit uh, to a great extent by NI, with NIL. And it's not just that they're great basketball players, but they've amassed over 3 million followers on TikTok, together over six, 700,000 followers on Instagram. They're very active on YouTube. There's another athlete I've been working with, another female basketball player, Casey Ferguson, who's about to announce a deal. She has over 2 million followers on TikTok. I mean, don't really have a lot of male athletes in college who have millions of followers on TikTok and on Instagram, yet we're finding female athletes with those types of followings. And by virtue of that, a lot of brands are very interested. Um, And that's not to say that male athletes haven't been doing deals and won't be doing deals. We already talked about Bryce Young, who's reportedly making a million dollars already. So um, what I love about it is it doesn't matter your sex. You have opportunity here. Uh, high school star Mikey Williams. Mm-hmm. He just signed uh, with XL Sports. This is according to Sports Illustrated, uh, making him the first prep player to join a major sports representation agency. And that's also according to ESPN. Again, this is another advantage to name, image, and likeness. Which brings me to the next point. When does a high school athlete or when does a college athlete strike? Do you take it when it's going now, or or do you wait later, or why even wait? Because if you can get all the money while you can, why wait? So what what is the strategy for a student? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I think there's no general strategy that sure or can be adopted. I think every athlete, uh, at least the more prominent ones with the big followings, uh, the talented athletes on the court, on the field, et cetera, 
should surround themselves with a strong business team and certainly get as many experts as possible within their circles to best create a strategy. But, you know, they're, they're, you don't want to oversaturate. You don't want to affiliate with brands that aren't good fits, uh, products or services that you actually have never used or have no interest in using, um, and never want to sell yourself short. And that goes back to what I said earlier, which is if you're doing a deal for $20 or for merchandise, it's going to be really hard then to command those massive dollars from other brands because you've set a standard for yourself. So you don't want to jump at every single opportunity. You certainly want to negotiate those deals, make sure you're affiliating with the right brands, understanding that contracts are broken all the time. Make sure you're also doing deals with reputable brands because just just because it may say that you're entitled to $100,000 on a piece of paper doesn't mean you're actually going to get paid that. And then do you want to be in a position where you have to sue that company? So there's a lot of considerations that come in play. And look, I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of athletes as counsel, um, but there's hundreds of thousands of college athletes out there. And not every athlete will sign with an agent. Not every athlete will sign with a lawyer. And so I think, unfortunately, a lot of these athletes will be disadvantaged by not having counsel in a lot of these situations and not really know what to do. Hopefully the universities do what they can to bridge the gap, providing financial literacy, life skills, workshops, which, by the way, we included as a requirement in our law in the state of Florida prior to the first and third years of enrollment. Uh, the universities have to provide at least five hours of that type of education to athletes. I think that's really important. Darren, what type of products or endorsements are strictly off-limits? And I'm sure I can probably guess uh, some of them, but uh, uh, does it vary state-by-state? State? It varies state-by-state state and school-by-school. School. So I'll use my state, Florida, as an example. The law doesn't expressly prohibit any categories. We leave it up to the schools. Whereas Texas expressly prohibits things like tobacco, alcohol-related endorsements, adult entertainment, casinos, sports betting, anabolic steroids, so on and so forth. I know Mississippi has a list as well. But to the extent that there's a, a silence by the state laws where there are effective laws currently, the schools have been, made it very clear as to what types of opportunities are off limits. Um, and we really haven't seen any pushing of the envelope there. I, there was an adult entertainment company that emailed a bunch of journalists the other yeah. day saying they're interested in doing a deal with athletes. I, I got that I email. We haven't seen any deals there. The, I think the biggest question on that front thus far goes back to the Barstool affiliation because mm. there is a Barstool-branded sports book, my understanding is, it's Penn that operates it, and Barstool itself as a company is not technically the operator. But there is some concern as to whether or not that's something that should be acceptable because the branding itself, that being Barstool, is the same, whether it's Barstool Athletics or Barstool Sportsbook. But uh, I, I suppose the jury's still out on that. So, Darren, as we wrap up here, I... I'm sort of marveling at the fact that we've had this entire discussion um, in depth and not really talked about the NCAA. That feels notable <laughs> given the history, not just of this issue, but the history of college athletics and how much power the NCAA has wielded. Distill for us, if you can, kind of where the NCAA 
is on all of this. There was a sort of 11th hour scramble to sort of paper over something um, from them. I'm editorializing a bit here. But where does this go when you factor in what the NCAA, you know, may continue to look at here, what Congress may do? Like what uh, play this out over the short and midterm for us? Yeah, isn't it amazing? I mean, you would think that the NCAA would have been all over this, but we haven't heard a peep from them through three weeks. And this is completely the byproduct of about a month ago, the Supreme Court deciding in a unanimous opinion, 9-0, against the NCAA, the case NCAA v. Alston. And while that case was strictly about uh, restrictions on academic-related benefits, uh, the opinion itself, and certainly the concurring opinion by Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, right. uh, has, has put a lot of fear into the NCAA, which then caused the NCAA that, by the way, had created pages upon pages of legislation that the Division One Council and Board of Governors were supposed to vote on and had tons of guardrails for NIL, and in fact have a TPA, a third-party administrator, oversee every deal and either approve or disapprove every deal across the country, that was scrapped immediately surrounding that decision. And so we had a situation where June 30, at around 4 p.m. Eastern, less than 24 hours before some states were going to go live, that's when the NCA finally decided, okay, we're removing our restriction with certain caveats. Has to be quid pro quo in these deals. Athletes have to deliver something in exchange for the money they're receiving. The deals can't be contingent on the athletes enrolling at a school or staying at a school. And there can't be these sorts of uh, performance bonuses. An athlete can't earn more money if he or she performs to a certain level on the field, on the court, etc. Outside of that, the NCAA has been completely silent. And I don't think that's going to change in any way, to be honest. There's just so much fear that if the NCAA, a cartel that's been found to have colluded in the past illegally in violation of antitrust laws, if they do anything, they're just going to be sued left and right and lose. Well, thank you so much. It was really good to spend some time with you. I feel like we're going to be checking in with you on the regular, if you'll let us, just because this is fast-moving and you really are in the middle of this in a way that very few are. Darren Heitner is the founder of Heitner Legal. He's a sports lawyer. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Florida Law School, where he earned his law degree and also went undergrad, go Gators, and uh, is a clear expert on name, image, and likeness. So definitely follow him on Twitter because you'll get a good sense of, of what's going on. So, Darren, thank you so much. We know it's a, a super busy time for you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. So, guys, fascinating conversation. And if you want to hear the entirety of it, check out our podcast feed because we went even longer. And, and Barr, as you were joking after we finished recording, we could have gone even longer with yeah. Darren Heitner. But he was doing deals. I mean, and that's what's fascinating to me about this is we're three weeks in and already this flywheel is humming. And you have to imagine that even while the kinks are being worked out, Lynchy. Deals are getting done, and, and I think we're going to see, you know, maybe some surprises along the way, and, and, and Darren certainly indicated that. What really got my attention was, the, he said, the silence from the NCAA. Now, the NCAA is the sole reason that we have name, image, and likeness, and this movement has been going on for the past few years. And he said he doesn't expect to hear anything from the NCAA for a long, long time. They're basically going to crawl back into their cave and just let the dice roll where it may.
Yeah, amazing. I mean, I, I that was my big takeaway too was that the NCAA has essentially just rolled over on, on this and and been overtaken by state legislatures and and soon Congress and obviously the Supreme Court weighing in has largely rendered it. Um, I don't know if impotent is the right word, but but certainly ineffective and less important. Bar. Yeah, I, this is this is huge. I mean, it, there's so many angles here. It it goes from the big college to the little college to the high school players to the college players. I just wonder what happens to those small colleges, the the colleges where okay, we you know we have like you know eight or nine hundred students or something like that, whatever, and you know it's not a big you know big campus. What happens to those guys? This this is. Now and again, and it's funny. My my wife brought this up as I was driving home, and she said, "I've got mixed reviews." And I said, "You know what? You sound a lot like Lynchy because you know <laughs> it's." And, and and we were talking about this. You know, is is a scholarship enough, or now is the sky the limit? Who knows what's going to happen? I will say one last thing, which I was very happy to hear. From Darren Heitner and, and having done some work around this, we we all have this notion that you're seeing some measure of gender parity when it yes. comes to how these deals are getting done. I think that's a really important thing as well. And and it is something that I think a lot of folks anticipated. Uh, Chris Murphy, the U.S. senator from Connecticut, you know, obviously he's interested in things like the UConn women's basketball team being able to be compensated for their great work. And so I think you are seeing some of those deals get done. Um, and it's not just male college football stars. It, it, uh, it is accruing. Uh, the benefits are accruing to, to a wider set of athletes as well. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Oh, here we go. Now, this is where we, we have a story that's on the Bloomberg Terminal uh, about small Swiss sneaker brand uh, on AG. They have picked up Roger Federer. Uh, the tennis champion yep. and from the bank from uh, his backing. Now, what I want to know is, as I was reading on into the story, I want to talk about the juggernaut in the field, Nike. I want to know what is their market value? The market value of Nike? Nike. Yes, I should know this one. This is a very Bloomberg uh, type question. So it's not as big as the tech companies. It's definitely gone down, I believe, in in value or sort of stabilized in value. I'll go with this market cap, right? Yes, you're asking. Yes, yes. I'll go two fifty or a nice round quarter of a oh. quarter of a trillion dollars, two hundred fifty billion. You know what? We'll we'll just stop the game right now because that's Hold exactly on. what that is: two hundred fifty <laughs> billion dollars. I'm sorry, Lynchy. <laughs> Oh, all of a sudden. Two, I, I had 251 rolling out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I, he hit it right on the nose, man. I got to give it. Ah, look at Jason. You know what? It's the, it's the Bloomberg training of uh, you know that good old DES screen for Bloomberg Terminal customers. If you know, you know. <laughs> I, try, so, I got so, I got good training when I started as a Bloomberg print reporter lynching. 
so basically, you know, Jason Kelly won the toss. He elected to, to receive, and he went down the field and scored a touchdown. Exactly. And I don't even get my hands on the football, yeah. right? That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. That's yeah. exactly it's what the, happened. It's the new, it's the new NFL playoff rules, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, forget the field goal. Yeah. Sorry, Lynch. Yeah, but it's exactly. you know, he just scored. Listen, the touchdown. we know you're good at field goal kicking. That's why I have to score a touchdown. <laughs> By the way, recently they posted an annual sales Nike of forty four point five billion dollars. Well, and we also should note, um, just because we're always calling back to, to interesting conversations that, that we've had, um, on, of course, that sneaker brand is the sponsor of Jake Riley, who was our guest, and uh, yes, the Olympian, right. who is running uh, in just a couple weeks. He is still, he has, hasn't even headed to Tokyo yet. Fascinating conversation, understanding how this you know young guy, first-time Olympian, strikes this deal, and he has visions of, uh, of running his own shoe company someday. I thought, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. So check that out on our podcast feed. I feel like I'm just like selling podcasts left and right here, guys. All right. Work it, baby. Work it. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online, as you must know by now, wherever you get your podcasts. Those drop on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. In the meantime, find me, Jason Kelly, at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. All I want is a chance to compete. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. Oh, Lynchy. Oh, Lynch. Poor put upon Lynchy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world.